All right, we're going to get started. Um, so let me open up in prayer, and then we'll, we'll jump in and finish up anger today. And next week, or not next week, two weeks from now, when we get back together, uh, we're going to take a two-week break, then we'll be back here. What day? What Sunday is it? So yeah, so next Sunday we won't have class, and the following Sunday we won't have class, but on the 8th we'll be back here, and that's when we'll, yeah, from this point, yeah. So uh, today we're going to do anger, and then when we come back, we're going to do uh, ADHD, which will be quite interesting. That's going to be quite the interesting study, so yeah. So let me pray for us, and then we will get started. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, this opportunity to study your word, particularly about a topic that um, afflicts all of us, uh, that uh, one way or another comes out in our lives. So we just pray, God, that you would use this time in your word to sanctify us, to give us a clear path forward and how to deal with anger in a way that uh, is righteous, in a way that honors and glorifies you and is best for us and best for those around us. So we just ask for a real profitable time in your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, well, unfortunately, well, we, we thought this would go to someone specific, but since he's not here, um, anybody, um, oh, I'll just, I was going to do a, I was going to do a birthday thing, but well, let me ask, anybody have a birthday close to today? I know David does. He's going to be kicking himself for not coming in. But is he doing music or anything? Or? Yeah, so he's busy. Yeah. Anybody? Who's, who's got the birthday closest to, the, to today, do they think? Anybody? What are you? November. Yeah, backwards doesn't count. Sorry, Crystal. It has to be forwards. Forwards looking. All right, birthdays, birthdays is nebulous. We're gonna, we'll, do, we'll do pop quiz. Instead of birthday, we're going to do pop quiz. This is not working. All right. Yeah, too hard. All right. Oh, okay. How, would, how did we define anger last week? How would we define it? How do we define anger How did I define it last week? Just a one sentence out of Merriam-Webster's dictionary, which I thought was pretty straightforward, accurate. How do you define anger? Strong feeling of displeasure and usually antagonism. All right, next question. Y'all got an F so far. <clears throat> And the pop quiz. Um, what did I say? Um, how should we think about the DSM's diagnoses for intermittent explosive disorder, oppositional defiant disorder, and conduct disorder? What did I say all those were? Observation. Yeah, okay. Observation. 
Uh, the interpretation? No. With the, what was that word you used? Maybe, maybe it's a pardon? Pardon? Yes, naturalistic, it's just a naturalistic interpretation of the works of the flesh. So you were getting there, Brad. I'm going to give it to Addison today. Boom, there you go. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me, uh, let me, uh, this, is a, this is a book that I gave out at the retreat. This is a book that I gave out at the retreat. Uh, brand new. I, have, I just, I collect and read books on the doc, a theology of work, and this is the latest one to come out by Brian Chappelle. Uh, just an excellent piece on how to understand your work and how it works in the greater scheme of redemption and how to think about work biblically, how to go about your work. It's, work isn't just about evangelism. It's, it's bigger than that. It's broader than that. And so um, uh, just another excellent installment in the, the Theology of Work series. So there you go. I think that'll be helpful. And, and whenever I give away books, I want you to take note of them so you can know what books to, to get for each other or to buy for yourself. So that's a, a great book. So uh, in, the, in the spirit of the holidays, we are now back to uh, giving out books every week. I got a big old stash in this last week. I've got a big... Oh, David. So sorry, brother. You um, won, but you weren't here. You would have won, but you weren't here. That's the... Uh, that's the um, so uh, each week I'll be giving out books. I just got a big stash, and each week one book, pop quiz, birthday, whatever, we'll decide on the fly. And what I do when I'm giving away those books is not only does someone get one of those books, but then you also get to hear and to see what kind of books that I'm recommending. And so I think it's kind of a double bonus. So uh, next two, three weeks from now, we will be giving out another book, and we'll continue to do that in perpetuity. Okay? Okay. So... Anger. Uh, I mentioned last week that we would end anger and go into ADHD. That's not going to happen. We have too much we need to say about anger. And then the whole ADHD conversation, it's a, it's a big topic. And so uh, I need time to prepare and I don't want to just shoot from the hip. So <clears throat> last week, talking about anger, we uh, looked at a basic definition. And I think Merriam-Webster's is an excellent definition in terms of the English word, a strong feeling of displeasure, usually antagonism. David Pallison says anger is basically the, the heart feeling, the, uh, the, the heart posture towards something saying, I'm against that. That's anger. Okay? I'm against that. I disapprove of that. Uh, I want to remove that, change that, destroy that. Okay? Uh, that's anger. And we looked at it from first a... Uh, naturalistic secular viewpoint, a uh, psychological viewpoint, and uh, we examined a few different what they call uh, disorders that involve anger, and uh, we mentioned a few of those, oppositional defiant disorder, intermittent explosive disorder, and concluded, I, at least I concluded, that these, these categories of disorders are simply naturalistic uh, observations, or I should say, actually at that point, they're interpretations. The observations between secular psychologists and Christians are the same. We're, we're seeing, yes, that person has uh, uncontrollable rage. It's happening on a regular basis. They're getting in fights. They're ruining their jobs. They're, they can't hold a job because they can't interact with their employees. They're in, always in conflict with relatives, whatever it might be. All those observations we'd agree with, but then you step into the interpretational phase, and now you're bringing in your worldview. Why are people doing what they're doing? And the 
categories in the DSM of oppositional defiant disorder and intermittent explosive disorder, I argue, are simply naturalistic interpretations of works of the flesh. Naturalistic interpretations of what Scripture would call uh, unrighteous, uncontrolled, sinful, selfish anger. Okay? That has been let go, let, let, allowed to um, take over a person's life, so to speak. Um, so then we got into, so we, we walked through a, a number of those. We talked about how uh, anger is typically treated in a, in a uh, modern psychology framework. And now we're stepping into a biblical diagnosis. And um, one, the first thing that we said was um, we, we, uh, I gave you that definition from David Pallison, which is, I think was, was helpful, basically saying, I'm against that. Something, uh, I have displeasure towards something that's important enough to care about. Uh, every incident of anger, quote, has three things in common, namely, I identify some perceived wrong. Two, I take a stance of disapproval and feel displeasure. And then in three, I am, in some way, I am moved to action to say or do something about it. Okay? That's, that's the, in, in any instance of anger, those are the three components that are always there. Another important piece that we mentioned under uh, assessing anger biblically is that anger is not necessarily sinful. Anger is not necessarily sinful. You see righteous anger in God himself. It's pretty amazing that God's anger is a pretty significant theme in the Old Testament. It's not capricious. It's not out of control. It's not irrational. It is always for a good reason. But in God's case, anger is always God's righteous character in response to sin. Okay? So God acts righteously, acts in anger, but always righteously. And then you see in the life of Jesus, God incarnate, that he was angry with the Pharisees in the, the incident we saw in Mark 3, 5. Jesus acted with righteous anger. He did not sin in his anger. His anger was not selfish. His anger was not capricious or out of control or full of rage. It was always perfect, but he was able to act in anger, yet not sin. And so we know from God and from Christ, God uh, uh, in, in the Old Testament and how he reveals himself and then as he reveals himself in Christ, we know that anger is not necessarily sinful. And we can also know that God expects his people to act in righteous anger. And we even see that in Ephesians 4.26. The command is, the command is to be angry and yet not sin. Because there are things that we should be angry about. In fact, if we're not angry about certain important things, then it shows that we're actually not growing in our moral formation, our, our formation of holiness. Remember, in God's case, anger is the response of holiness in the face of sin, right? It's the response of holiness when there's sin. And so for, as we're growing in Christ-like character, we, as we encounter things that are wrong and bad, there should be some anger, right? But the, the point of Scripture and the the, the uh, point of Paul's teaching in Ephesians 4 is that we are angry about the right things in the right way at the right time, but do not sin. That we have a righteous anger, that we're growing in the ability to uh, express righteous anger. Scripture speaks often of being slow to anger. Uh, I said I believe this slow to anger means slow to taking uh, offense to personal uh, thing, personal offenses, slow to be angry about personal offenses. Uh, you're not someone who is constantly just angry. Like, you, you, have you ever met those people? It's like they're just, they're just, they have a bent to be angry. They're always angry. 
And in some cases, they're professing Christians, and in some cases, they'll say, well, I'm just angry at all the sin in the world, or all the unrighteousness, or, um, or whatever. But Scripture, on the whole, I think would, would point us away from that kind of constant perpetual anger, that we are to be slow to be angry, that there should, that there should be a tenderheartedness that, that characterizes us, because, as we'll see in a little bit, one of the major pieces is that God has forgiven us of our, our great debt and our sin. And so that we actually now have a bent towards tenderheartedness, though there are times when we should be angry. And uh, we looked at several texts that, that uh, exhort us to be slow to anger. Uh, many of the Proverbs indicate that wisdom is exemplified by a slowness to anger. And slowness to anger, if you remember my sermon uh, several months ago, slowness to anger actually gives us good judgment. We'll talk about this in a bit being slow to anger actually helps us assess a situation with clear-headedness, right? When you are immediately angry and just immediately set off in anger, it's very hard, at least for me, it's very hard to think clearly and assess clearly the situation and to say the words that I need to say and to get the information to, and to sift through it in the way I need to. Anger tends to distort things and cause me to, to jump past the, the sequence of of thinking that I need to do. It, it, it distorts things so I don't receive all the data that I need to. I jump to conclusions that I shouldn't and so on. So it's actually to our benefit to be slow to anger and that, that's, wisdom is typified by slowness to anger in the Proverbs, for, uh, Proverbs 14, 29. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Looking back to those diagnoses in the, the DSM, Proverbs I think would simply say that Conduct disorder and intermittent explosive disorder, that's just someone who's exemplifying folly. They're, they have a quick temper, and they haven't brought that temper under control for whatever reason. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is to his glory to overlook an offense. That's uh, Proverbs 19.11. And then obviously, James, is, and we'll actually go to James today, not this text, but another couple of texts in James. James 1.19, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Again, uh, Ephesians 3.21 or 3.31, I'm sorry, Ephesians 4.31, Colossians 3.8, these are instructions to put away anger, but again, this is not an absolute. We are to put away sinful, selfish, unrighteous anger, out-of-control anger, but yet at the same time be cultivating a heart that gets angry in the right way at the right things, to have righteous anger. Um, we just jumped into this at the very end last week, so I'm going to review it here. Where does unrighteous anger come from? Unrighteous anger comes from unholy self-love. We want what we want and we get angry if we don't get it. And it could be anything. It could be something that's unrighteous. It could be something that's actually righteous. The fact is, is we want it and we don't get it. And I must have it. So now I'm angry. Okay? Uh, we seek only our benefit. 1 Corinthians 13.5 says that's the opposite of love. Love doesn't seek its own. Right? So where does unrighteous Anger come from? It comes from unholy self-love. We want what we want. We get angry when we don't want, uh, get it. Uh, it also comes from jealousy of what others have and uh, who they are. You see this in 1 John 3. Uh, you see this in, originally, where? Where, did this, where do you see the first act of unrighteous anger uh, acting out of jealousy? Yeah, that's right. Cain against Abel. That's right. And then John in 1 John 3 says this was, he, he was jealous. He saw his brother's deeds that they were righteous and he hated it. 
right? There's a jealousy for who Abel was, for what he had done, what he was like, what he had, and so he got angry. And God confronted his anger. Unfortunately, Cain did not repent. He actually continued in his uh, unrepentance, sadly. Um, where else does anger come from? Proverbs 19.3, this is an interesting one. Unrighteous anger also comes from when we bear the consequences of our own foolishness. <coughs> Proverbs 19.3, when a man's folly brings his way, way to ruin, <coughs> his heart rages against the Lord. Isn't that interesting? A person acts foolishly. They do what you should not do in the world that's been created. They uh, act against reality, so to speak. They, um, they make foolish investments, or they steal something, or they drive uh, the over, way over the speed limit and get in a terrible wreck and um, get in all kinds of legal trouble and financial trouble, right? Well, rather than repenting and saying, wow, that was all foolish, what, what do people do? They rage against the Lord. It's God's fault, somehow. Well, that's obviously unrighteous anger, but it's, where, uh, it's, a, it's one of the origins and uh, sources of unrighteous anger. When we bear the consequences of our own foolishness, we can, we can become angry at God. But what are the marks of righteous anger? And this is just as important, okay? Because we need to be cultivating hearts that are capable of, have a growing capacity for righteous anger. And that, I just... Maybe for some of us that's hard to hear because we're so built and uh, just our personality to so avoid anger is only negative. It's just, the moment you feel anger, it must be negative. I have to get rid of it, right? And it's because we're sinful. It's often the case that it's probably unrighteous and might have an unrighteous source, but it's not always the case. And we should be growing in our uh, capacity to exhibit righteous anger, anger that is controlled anger for the right reason. So what are the marks of righteous anger? Number one, this is seen in Jesus. Uh, zeal for your house consumes me. He went into the temple and he overturned tables because he saw all the corruption that was, that was happening there. John 2.17, quoting Psalm 69.9, zeal for your house consumes me. We are angry over God's dishonor. If you have a, a burning in your heart of anger because God has been blasphemed and dishonored and Christ has been blasphemed and spoken against, that's, that's actually a good thing. Okay? Now, of course, like anything, that could grow out of control and you start getting into a fist fight with the person who just blasphemed your Lord. I don't think that's <laughs> what Jesus would want us to do. But I've seen that. I, I've been in a, co a Christian college where guys get in fistfights over theological problems. I mean, theological discussions, they'll, they'll start fighting with each other. And like, come on, man. Um, so, but if there is, a, if there is a, an anger that flares up in the heart because you've heard or seen God blasphemed or dishonored, that's, that's good and right and wholesome. Because you are angry at the right things, namely God's glory, which is the height of all our concern, or should be the height of all of our concern. Uh, number two, we are angry over injustice done to another image bearer. You see this in Christ as well, Mark 3, 5, when uh, he was being questioned about healing a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath. He was grieved, he was angry because the Pharisees whom he asked, is it good? Is it a good thing to heal someone on the Sabbath or not, or to do evil? 
And it should have been such an obvious answer. They don't answer because, well, for whatever reason, they, they don't answer. And Jesus is grieved at their uh, hardness of heart. And he is uh, angry over this injustice done to this image bearer, this, this willingness to withhold healing from somebody because it's the Sabbath, right? <clears throat> and it's good and right to be angry over injustice done to another image bearer because, again, this actually is tying back to God's own glory and honor, right? Because they bear his image and we should care about our fellow image bearers. And so when you see injustice or crimes committed against uh, vulnerable, innocent people, you should have anger well up in the heart. We should. And we shouldn't be afraid of it. Okay? Interestingly, we need to learn to channel anger in productive ways. Anger can be a highly productive, fruitful emotion. Is this crazy or what? I mean, this is just crazy talk. But uh, for some of us, I think for some of us, we're just hearing that and being like, are you sure, Derek? Yeah, I'm sure. Anger can be a highly productive, fruitful emotion if it is channeled in a godly way. Just think of all the good that's been done because people are angry over injustice to fellow image bearers. I guarantee you a lot of people in the pro-life movement are not um, just kind of have this kind of placid approach, you know, just kind of, we're just kind of doing our duty. No, people are angry about the injustice being done to these tiny little image bearers in the room. And a lot of good has been done. Now, obviously, many people have acted in sinful anger, but a lot of good has been done because anger has been channeled, I think, in the right way. You could even say the same for, I think, the ending of, of the slave trade and for slavery here in America. These kinds of things were accomplished through anger channeled in the right way. Right? Uh, number three, our anger is roused by real issues, not superficial ones. And I just have here Jonah 4.9 uh, as an example of a superficial one because he got upset of the plant that grew up. I mean, he just, he just was such, he was in such a bad place. Uh, our friend Jonah. Um, but uh, I, have, I have his this text here as an example of uh, not being roused by the right things here. And God called him out on it. Um, let's see here. Jonah 4.8 says, And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, Is it better for me to die than it is better for me to die than to live? But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Uh, should I not have pity on Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons that do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? In other words, Jonah. You, have a, you are angry about the wrong things. Utterly superficial approach to anger. Okay. So, uh, a mark of um, righteous anger is that our anger is roused by real issues, uh, including the ones I just mentioned. Anger over God's dishonor and anger over injustice. Uh, number four, here's a mark of righteous anger. We are self-controlled in our anger. We're self-controlled. We're not lashing out, we're not venting, we're not hitting and punching and kicking, we're not destroying people physically or with our words. It is self-controlled, it is channeled, it is used and in, in brought into control in order to be used productively. Um, the counterpart to anger in 
Uh, Galatians 5, 19 and following, the works of the flesh, anger, division, uh, and, and sowing discord in that, and, and, and fits of anger, the, the counter to that is love and, and the fruit of the Spirit, love and self-control, right? Because you, you have to have self-control in moments of anger so that you don't allow that anger that could potentially be righteous anger to, to burst forth and then to become unrighteous and actually do harm rather than good. Uh, Proverbs 29, 11. A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Number one, two, three, four, five. Number five, our anger is aimed at the problem, not at the person. Our anger is aimed at the problem and not at the person. Uh, this, is, this is crucial because um, <clears throat> this goes back to what I was saying about the productivity of anger. Rather than lashing out at a person, we need to channel now our, our energy and our anger that's, that's being, the energy that's being produced from this anger on solving the problem, not on destroying the person with our fists or with our words. And this is when anger becomes productive. It's aimed at the problem, not the person. Acts 16, 18, I think, is an example of this when Paul was... Uh, let's see, where are they at here? Macedonia? Is that right? And he is, let's see, I might get the right text here. I hope so. Um, verse 16, And we are going to the place of prayer, and, and we uh, were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and, and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And she kept doing this for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, which is another word for, he got angry. <clears throat> Don't think because you're annoyed that you're not angry. It's just another expression of anger. Or ir irritated. I'm not angry, I'm just irritated. I'm not angry, I'm just frustrated. Oh no, you're angry. He's just calling it by a different word. Um, he became greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and it came out of her that very hour. I think there's an example, an excellent example, of Paul focusing his anger not on this person, why don't we just wipe her out, right? No, I'm going to focus on the problem, namely the spirit of divination, and he, she gets uh, driven out. Uh, Paul gives another good example of this in uh, just a chapter later, chapter 17, verse 16, while he's in Athens. And uh, he's there, and Athens is full of idols, right? Full of philosophers, full of idols, and full of people just talking about Various kinds of philosophical things, liking always to hear things, something, something new, uh, it says. And look at what happens to Paul here. It says, Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. What's going on there? Well, he is angry over God's dishonor. He's provoked. Uh, have you guys ever been in a place where you've seen uh, a lot of Hindu idols? Have you ever... To me, Hindu idols are horrendous. They're so utterly blasphemous at the way they try to depict uh, the divine nature. It's just, it's just horrendous. And uh, I took our um, uh, retreat speaker, 
uh, Aaron Vega and his family out to a Thai restaurant right before we went to the retreat on that Friday. And we walked into a Thai restaurant that had more idols than I'd ever seen in my life. They were just everywhere. I mean, they're like falling off the roof. I mean, they're just everywhere. They got food offered to them. I'm just like, whoa, like this is legit idolatry. I don't know if I've experienced this before. And, um, and, I, and my spirit was, I'm like, this, this doesn't feel right. Like this is not, this is not good. Um, similar kind of thing. Paul is walking into the city and he's seeing all these idols and his heart is provoked within him. He's angry. Like, this is blasphemous. How can, how can you depict the divine nature this way? This is evil. I do not like it. Uh, I do not like it because I, I love God and I love to see Him exalted and I love to see Christ exalted. And I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to start blasting these guys for their idiocy. No. Verse 17, So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. What did he do? He was angry at the idolatry. So he took a bat and he smashed all the idols. No, he went and he evangelized to drive out the heart of idolatry rather than smash all the idols with a baseball bat or to take a baseball bat to the the worshipers. No, he focused on the problem. His anger led to a productive use of his words and his time to evangelize. Okay? A couple of, uh, I think, helpful examples there. And obviously in the life of Jesus, you see him doing this very thing, focusing his anger at the problem, not the person. Uh, Another mark of righteous anger is that our anger is not vented. We've just looked at that text. Our anger is not vented. It's not explosive. We're not just pouring out uh, the first thought that comes to our mind in our anger and just letting the person have it. Uh, That's unrighteous. But the flip side of that, because you might be thinking, well, Derek, that's not me. When I get angry, I hold it all in. And I just don't say anything. And here's another mark of unrighteous anger. Our anger, uh, another mark of righteous anger, rather, another mark of righteous anger is that our anger is not suppressed. It's not suppressed and kept here to stew and to smolder and to grow in bitterness. No, it is dealt with in the right way. Uh... I've known people who have held grudges for years, professing Christians, going to church, taking communion, who have held grudges for years, thinking that they're doing, by holding the anger in, that they are somehow acting righteously. No, in fact, in the situation that I'm thinking of right now, this storing up of anger actually led this person in a very foolish direction. It was so affecting their decision-making uh, because they weren't rightly dealing with anger, but they, they thought they were fine because they're just holding it all in. No, that kind of suppressing it and holding it and not dealing with it in a righteous way, that is that it's not what God has called us to. Be angry, yet not sin. So we want to deal with it in the right way. <clears throat> all right, so now let's talk about treating our anger. Let's ask the question, why do we fight? Why do we get angry and fight? Anybody got an answer from the Bible? Why do we fight? We've already looked at it. We've already mentioned it. Why do we fight and quarrel? You want and do not have. You want and you're not getting. That's really it. And I think David Paulson just brought this out as I was reading this week. The Bible is so simple and clear that it may actually, it's so simple and clear on the origins of, of anger that we might be tempted to brush it aside for that very reason. Oh, no, 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 Derek. It needs to be far more sophisticated than that. Multi-level 
reasons for why we get angry. No, it's, it's pretty straightforward. You want something, you're not getting it, and you're angry. That's, that's how James uh, defines it, describes it in James chapter 4. So we'll turn there because we're going to look at James chapter 4 and then James chapter 3. James chapter 4, verses 1 and following. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And we'll stop right there because we will go on in a moment. Uh, we fight and quarrel and get angry for one reason, and it's we are not getting what we want. Just, just think about that for a moment. Does that, does that apply to your current situation? Whatever, you got angry this morning or this last week? Maybe none of you did. I did. That's because I'm a sinner. Maybe you guys are beyond all that. But no, got angry this week. Why? <laughs> I can't deny the text. Like, it was because I didn't get what I wanted in whatever situation. Why do we fight? Because in our hearts, we are saying and thinking and feeling this. My kingdom come, my will be done. Bottom line. Bottom line. My will be done. Not God's will be done. My will be done right now. That's why we fight. That's why we get angry. We don't get what we want, and we want our will to be done. Uh, one thing we need to see <clears throat> is that when we're talking about this root of anger, that oftentimes, or I should say all the time, secular forms of peacemaking and dealing with anger are, are simply superficial. Some good strategies, but overall superficial because they don't get to a, the root. For example, here are some uh, examples of, uh, of how psychologists will tell us to deal with our anger. Clarify your expectations. It's a good, good idea. Listen well and repeat back what you've heard when you're in conversation with somebody. Phrase your concerns and objections in non-condemnatory ways. Count to ten before voicing anger. Communicate respect for persons amid disagreements over issues. Watch your body language. Okay? Now, those are all decent ideas, but they do not get to the root of our anger problem. These are just surface-level strategies, and strategies that as we'll see in a little bit, as someone who is walking wisdom, they will have strategies. But that's not getting to the, the root, and this is where psychology is deficient. It can't get to the root of our anger and deal with it at a heart level change, uh, a heart level of, of, of change. Scripture is different in this way. Quoting now David Pallison, he says, quote, James's solution cuts to the core of what's going on in our conflict. Solving the spiritual core gives the recipient of grace the power and humility to pursue many different strategies, see there are strategies, that lead to genuine peace. However, courage, willingness to forgive, genuine love, even for enemies, patience over the long haul, these are matters of character, not mere strategies. So if the character in the heart is not changing, we could have a list of 50 strategies of dealing with anger. And eventually they're just going to uh, either uh, become uh, self-contradictory or they're going to uh, no longer work, but they're, whatever is going to happen, they're not changing the heart, not changing the character, not getting to the root 
of your anger, and you'll just shift your sin around to different places, and it'll just show up in different uh, places. Constructive strategies flow from a character transformed by our humbling need for the mercies of God. So there is a place for strategies. There is a place for uh, listening well and these kinds of things. But what we are after as Christians and what we can be after as Christians, this is what's distinct about Christianity because we've been born again and because we have the Spirit and the Word of God, is we can be changed in foundational, fundamental ways with regard to our anger. We can actually be self-controlled. We can actually get angry over the right things. We can actually make anger productive. We can actually be pleasing to God in our anger. We can actually avoid being uh, taken over by anger. We can love what is good and hate what is evil. Well, what's going on in this anger? Well, he mentions you desire or you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. And you do not have because you do not ask, so... There are things that you do desire, but you're not asking for them. There's a problem. But then you're, there are things that you are asking for. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passion. So you're asking for the wrong things. And then he goes on to say, you adulterous people. So then the question we have to ask from this text in whatever situation where we're getting angry, we have to consider our overall desires. Are they for good, wholesome things? Are you satisfied with all that God is for you? Or are you pining after stuff or reputation or personal glory to make you happy? When, when we are after unrighteous things, we are going to be led into unrighteous anger when we are not getting them. As he goes on further, are we humbling ourselves before God and submitting to Him in our will for, his, or for our life? Again, the crossing over into anger is simply saying, my will be done. The crossing over to unrighteous anger is saying, my will be done, rather than submitting to the Lord and saying, your will be done, even if it is for this good thing. Because you might be thinking, well, Derek, I want, I want good things. I, I want a, uh, marriage, or in our case, we want children who conduct themselves uh, appropriately, and we want children who um, uh, interact with adults in a, in, a, in a good way and these kinds of things. Or uh, I want a wife who respects me, or Amy wants a husband who loves, loves her. Those are all all good things, but they become uh, sources of unrighteous anger when they become idols, and they become idols when they say, I must have those things. I must have a wife who respects me. I must have children who obey. Good things? Yes. But anything that is, that is uh, transcending my dependence upon and my satisfaction in God alone and in Christ alone, then it's going to become a source of unrighteous anger, and we need, this is what he, he's getting at here, at least partially. Uh, he goes on to say, um, do you suppose that uh, the scripture says to no purpose, he yearns jealousy over the spirit that he's made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. So we want to ask ourselves, are we drawing near to God through personal communion, and are we mourning over our own sin? People who mourn over their own sin and take the logs out of their own eye, first and foremost, are not typically very angry, uh, unrighteously angry people. right? Because we recognize how much 
uh, how, how, uh, what great sinners that we are and how much in need of mercy that we are so that when we experience that mercy as we draw near to God, then we are likely to express that mercy to others. I do want us to back up, though, because this passage is flanked by a previous passage, uh, one of my favorite passages in the Bible, um, and that it's, it's actually uh, a passage that will enable you to avoid what's happening in chapter 4, I believe. And you'll see why I say that in a moment. So let's look at James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. If we're going to be people who are, are slow to anger and who are not bound up with bitterness and unrighteous anger, then we want to be the kind of person who's walking in this kind of wisdom. We want our hearts to be shaped and formed by the Spirit to love and to walk in this kind of wisdom. I love this passage. I just wish it were more true of me. But it's a very beautiful passage. It's a very uh, pleasant passage, you might say, and it's the kind of wisdom that we want to grow in. Listen to what James says. He says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So by its very nature, divine wisdom, divinely given wisdom is meek. It's not quickly angered. It's not uh, overbearing. It's meek. It's humble. But if you have bitter, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes from down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. And, and you can see why. Verse 14, or verse 16, this is why this is tied to the, the anger issue. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. If you are out for what you can get and what you want, and if you are uh, driven by selfish ambition, you are going to be an angry person a lot of the time because you're going to find people impeding on what you want all the time. I want what I want, I want it now, and you're getting in my way. Therefore, I am angry, and I must do something about it. I must remove you, destroy you, or something. So jealousy and selfish ambition, they, they are giving rise to this unrighteous anger, and there'll be disorder in every vile practice. But here it is, verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Verse 17 and 18 should be the goal of our life. To be characterized by this kind of wisdom, this kind of divinely given Christ-like wisdom from the Spirit that is first pure, not driven by jealousy or selfish ambition, walking in the truth of God's Word. It's first pure. Okay? Then it's peaceable. How do you know you're walking in divine wisdom? Because you are peaceable with others. Quoting David Pallison, he says, quote, Peaceable people lay aside warlike traits, defensiveness, aggression, criticism, self-justification, scoring, po uh, scoring points, and touchiness to offenses. So we're growing in peaceableness. We're growing in gentleness. Wisdom from above is gentle, patient, meek, not easily angered, um, gentle with people even when we disagree with them, not wishing their harm, not wishing their physical or emotional or spiritual harm. This is great. This next one is great. Open to reason. We should be characterized as people who are open to reason. Isn't that, isn't that beautiful? When you are in the thick of conflict with another person, what typically goes out the window first? 
your openness to reason. My openness to reason. No, my point, my way, my will, you listen to me. When we're walking in divine wisdom, when our hearts are being shaped by divine wisdom, then we are those who are open to reason. And then that goes together with uh, skipping over furl of mercy and good fruits for a moment, impartial and sincere. Open to reason, now we are open to reason, we're not driven by quickness to anger, and now we can assess the situation with impartiality. Without bias from my side, rather now let's get together and figure out what is the real problem here, okay, impartially. This is the kind of wisdom that we can walk in by the Spirit, and this is, this is how we avoid chapter 4, verses 1 and following. Back up to full of mercy and good fruits. This is why Paul in uh, Ephesians 4, 29 and following says that Tender, our tender-heartedness is rooted in the fact that God has been merciful to us. And one of the things that I've already said when it came to talking about anxiety is one of our first steps is to dwell on the gospel. And you might be thinking, yeah, yeah, whatever, Derek. You know, you talk about this all the time. But let me just show you something here. <clears throat> we, we've, got, we've all got this, don't we? I mean, you've been here long enough. Right? You've been coming, you've been, in, you've been a member or whatever, you've been coming to church for a long time. We've all got this. We know what the gospel is. We know what scripture teaches on a, a vast number of things. We know what Christ has done on our behalf. But we want this, don't we? We don't want just knowledge. And, and I, we all want this, don't we? Don't we? Is that, I'm assuming you all want this. You want this. I, I know you do. Right? What's the bridge to get from here to here, biblically speaking? Yes. Yes. How does faith grow? How does wisdom grow? Meditation. Meditation is the bridge from knowledge to obedience. And it is the neglected bridge, I think, in the Christian life. When I go back and say we need to dwell on the gospel and what Christ has done on our behalf and the forgiveness that we have been showed and the debt that has been removed and the constant dwelling on how we come into access with that, uh, with that uh, truth is only through faith and it's a gift of God's grace and so on, what is happening is you are meditating on this knowledge and it is going to lead to obedience. Now, I'm not just making that up. Uh, this is uh, found in Joshua 1.8, and this is kind of a bit of a bonus. I didn't plan to do this until earlier <coughs> this morning. <coughs> Joshua 1.8. <coughs> God is telling his, his captain here, his, his leader, his savior, Yeshua. This book of the law, chapter 1, verse 8, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good, uh, good success. What is the, and you could look at Psalm 1 again um, as a, another bit, piece of evidence for this point. What is the bridge between knowledge and obedience? It's meditation. It's, this is not cliche. I think we neglect meditation. I think we think the more we fill up our minds with more truth, the, the better off we are, and when in fact we need to be meditating on the truth that we already know. 
And what does this lead to? When we are, I mean, truly, when we are, when we are entranced with the truth that we have been forgiven an infinite debt and that we are presently right with God, at peace with God, that He's forgiven all of our, that He has every right to destroy us in anger, yet He has removed that anger, placed it on Christ, and now only is overflowing with love towards us, when that is our meditation day and night, then what is that going to lead to? It's going to lead to wisdom that is full of mercy. Merciful people are not angry people. They're just, they're just not. Unrighteously angry, I should say. And then full of good fruits. <clears throat> good fruits here, just, I love how generic you could say the New Testament is when it talks about good fruits and, and good works. Why is it so generic? Because there are an infinite possibility of good works and good fruits Uh, at your disposal for whatever situation that you're in because you're all in various different situations at all given times. The scripture leaves these kinds of things generic because there are multiple different good fruits that will be produced as you're walking in this kind of wisdom. Good fruits of maybe strategies of how to deal with your anger in certain situations, how to talk to your wife, how to talk to your friends, how to communicate with, with one another. Those are good fruits. And we already mentioned impartial and sincere And then someone who's walking in this way will have a harvest of righteousness sown in peace by those who make peace. The righteousness of our life, the righteousness of our conduct is largely dependent upon sowing righteousness in peace by making peace. If we're not peacemakers, then our growing in righteousness is going to be hindered. Our sowing and uh, bearing the fruit of righteousness will be hindered. Okay. Uh, I found this chart to be very helpful in a book that I am going to be giving out here uh, in the next few weeks. Um, what do we do when we have, um, I think Amy, you mentioned this kind of this putting off, putting on. Uh, we want our minds to be renewed. Okay, this is back to now something that I said even when we were talking about anxiety. Romans 12, 2, we need to have our minds transformed by the truth of God's word relative to our problem. What's the issue? The issue is anger. What is the flesh saying in, in uh, the case of unrighteous anger? I deserve such and such. My will be done. Okay, that's the flesh. That's sin, right? It doesn't matter what the, the particular uh, thing that you want. So long as we're here, then you are, you're walking in the flesh, okay? What's the, what are the questions that the flesh asks? Is God really on my side? Do I, how do I get respect? How do I get what I want? Okay, That's, this, is, this is what characterizes the flesh, right? Uh, how do, what, what needs to be renewed? What, how does our mind need to be renewed? Well, here's how we respond. Uh, I deserve blank or my will be done. No, Christ is my Lord. He reigns. His will be done. I am going to yield to Him. This, this thing that I want, whatever it is, God's will be done. I'm going to take the appropriate channels. This is, if this is a good thing, it's clearly a good thing. I'm going to pursue it. I'm going to pray for it. I'm going to uh, look out for it. But I'm going to submit myself to God's will, to Christ's will. He's in charge. He's the one who deserves all the glory. He deserves for His will to be done. He is God. I'm, I'm merely a servant. Okay? Renewed statement. Renewed question. Whom can I serve? Not how do I get respect, but whom can I serve? Who can I give my life to? 
in this particular situation? Who can I serve and bless? And how do I forgive? Right? Not thinking about hurts that have been done to me, but how can I, or thinking, uh, yes, about hurts that have been done to me, but how do I forgive those hurts and wrongs that have been done to me? Not harboring bitterness or thinking about how I can get respect. And then finally, what does the new, renewed heart look like? Yielding and submissive, tender and kind. Right? This is the kind of transformation that we want to have uh, happen in our lives with regard to anger. And I think these two things, just these short little sentences, this is big for me this week. This, these two little sentences, it, it, it's, it's that easy, right? Well, how am I thinking? My will be done in this instance or Christ's will be done? And that was kind of pretty foundational for me. And it's short little sentences, right? <coughs> All right, um, say a couple more things, and then we'll be um, finished. Uh, I'll just give you these questions from David Pallison, and then I'll see if you have any questions. In, a, in, a, in any situation, uh, don't let your sin, or don't let your anger explode, but don't let it smolder. Deal with your anger on a daily basis. Um, if, you have, if your anger has left a trail of wreckage, uh, encourage, I, I encourage you, or if you're working with someone whose anger has left a trail of wreckage, to one person at a time, for, to, to help that person, one person at a time, one situation at a time, to reconcile and to take care of, of those issues one by one, little by little. If someone who's been just exploding in anger for the last several years of their life, they've probably left a trail of wreckage and now that they've become convicted by it and they know that they need to do something about it, the repair probably, project probably seems overwhelming. Okay? So we need to encourage that person or to encourage you to go back now and deal with those situations one person at a time, one situation at a time. Chip away slowly um, and take care of those issues. Deal with your anger on a daily basis. Deal with your anger when it comes up. Don't let it fester or smolder in your heart. And then ask yourself, this is David Pallison's questions, what is my situation? So assess the situation. Am I late for work? Am I angry with a coworker? Uh, my wife isn't listening to me, whatever it might be. Um, how do I react? Or how did I react? Did I curse, yell, seek illicit entertainment, explode, brood? How did I react? <clears throat> what are my motives? Am I seeking something sinful? Am I seeking something for my own glory? Am I covetous? Am I seeking something good? <clears throat> Must I have what I am seeking? Am I willing to not have what I am seeking? Am I willing to submit to God's word and God's providence? Okay, those are crucial questions. What are the consequences of my anger? If I explode or if I really let myself... You reap what you sow. That's, that's an axiomatic reality in the universe. You reap what you sow. I'll reap what I sow. If I am sowing anger, I'm going to reap bad things, okay? What are the consequences? Some, some anger leads to broken relationships. Some anger leads to being thrown in jail. Uh, what is true? Okay, we need to dwell on what is true. God is for me. I'm forgiven. God is leading me in paths of righteousness. He is only doing me good at every single turn, all the time. And so we need to reflect on what is true. How do I turn to God for help? Which should be phrased... In a rather than a question, a statement. Turn to God for help. Um, he, this is important. He says, clear thinking alone won't change you. 
Isn't that crazy? Clear thinking alone won't change you. You need the Spirit to transform your heart and mind, not just thinking clearly. So we need the Spirit of God. Uh, he says, quote, Angry people talk to the wrong person. They talk to themselves, rehearsing the failings of others rather than talking to God. I mean, it's just... It, it's amazing to me, during the course of the week, I'll all of a sudden just kind of wake up during the week and be like, I've been brooding over something, or I've been anxious over something, or I've been angry over something, and I haven't spoken to God once about it. What is my problem? And it's been like three days since this issue has been up, and I haven't talked to God once about it. And then I start talking to the Lord about it and praying about it, and so many things are helped and relieved and become more clear and easy to remedy. So we need to talk to the Lord rather than talking to ourselves. Uh, how do I respond constructively to this situation? Rather than exploding or brooding, what can I do to fix the problem or be part of the solution to the problem? And then finally, what are the consequences of faith and obedience? First and foremost, a good conscience. And there's nothing like a good conscience in terms of just pleasure, uh, joy, peace, God's pleasure, contentment, and potentially good health. Because anger can wreck your physical health, uh, as it turns out, um, studies have shown. So um, I think... It's important to note that this is far from exhaustive, okay? When it comes to biblical counseling, we're not saying that there is some sort of fix-all that kind of you just need to do this five steps, boom, you're done, read these verses, pray, and you're, you're good with your anger. No, this is a, a, a life of transformation, of dealing with your anger on a daily basis, applying the biblical truth to our lives. And I just want you guys to see the richness of the biblical counseling, counseling methodology and to see that at the root of what is being described as disorders is simply a heart that needs to be transformed by the Word of God, by the Spirit of God, by the Gospel. Okay? And so um, this is something that we could do another three messages on. We're not going to. Uh, but I want us to recognize that this is something that we must be constantly actively doing with each other, with ourselves. And there are many resources. One that I would wholeheartedly recommend to you is David Pallison's book, Good and Angry. A really good book. I really appreciate his writing, and uh, that's been helpful to me. And uh, any questions before we go? Jason. Um, is there a way that we can get like a copy of that last section? Yeah, those, um, those questions. Yeah, what could I do? I could, um, I could just email it to everybody. Yeah, I'll just get sent it out in an email. I'll do that. Yeah, yeah, for all of you who actually were diligent to write, well, now you don't need to. Okay. <laughs> Send out. Okay, go ahead, Jason. Um, uh, we focused on, like, um, when we deal with uh, issues, um, and we talked about this in premarital because we want to deal with the problem and not the person. Yeah. Well, I mean, in a case like that, where there, it sounds like what you're saying is that there's actual sin involved, uh, what needs to be the focal point of the, uh, of the anger is the sin itself. I mean, this is something where this is why um, 
forgive, a forgiving and tender heart flows from our understanding of the gospel because we recognize that in other people, the real issue is the sin that afflicts them, just like it's the sin that afflicts us. And so uh, we can have mercy and we can have compassion on people because we know that that inflammatory tendency or, or whatever harmful or sinful word that they said, it's flowing from a sinful heart um, that they are afflicted with the same way we are afflicted with uh, a sinful heart. And so knowing that having a theology of sin shouldn't make us more angry at people, it actually should make us more compassionate. Because in that case, we want to help them deal with that sin uh, for their own benefit. Obviously, it's, it's affecting us too. Um, and so I think when it comes to those kinds of things where the problem is so connected to the person that we are wanting to uh, recognize that this person is afflicted by something, namely sin, just like we are. And therefore, we want to focus our energy on, in, on helping that person overcome that sin. Um, and so th there's certainly a place in the Christian life for confrontation, for confronting someone for uh, their sin against us, uh, for their bent towards inflammatory remarks or whatever it might be. And these are the things that we have to, to be courageous to deal with with each other. But there is a way of doing that that focuses on the sin out of love for the person that doesn't grow in unrighteous anger. So, yeah, Mike, you want to say something? What if, what if the problem is not that the sin itself, but that the person doesn't want to overcome the sin or have trouble repenting and turning away from it? Yeah. Yeah. So I think this is where this, uh, the gospel is so counterintuitive at this point because uh, we were even kind of reflecting on this last night a little bit. Um, you have a situation where you know what's good for the person. You, there's a sin they're clearly not repenting of. But even then, if, if the attitude is, I must have them repent, then I think we are... Traver traversing into the area of idolatry. I must have something. It's a good thing. It's a good thing even for them. Um, and so, but it's saying, I must have this for my happiness, or I must have them, or I must have this change in this person, then we are now starting to come into the area uh, of idolatry. And when someone is um, unrepentant or stubborn in their sin, it should be an anger that's mingled with grief. It shouldn't just be angry. It shouldn't just be anger. It should be an anger that's mingled with grief. And so that's another point, too, that there's this balance in Scripture where there is um, Paul, when he saw that there were those who were starting to walk away from Christ, as of Philippians 3, that he was writing about it with tears, right? Angry, but also mingled with grief. And so I think even our anger at people's unrepentant sin is not worldly anger. It's not like the world gets angry. It's just like, it, it's anger mingled with grief because we know uh, what's at stake and we know the, the nature of sin and, and how tenacious it is. So, uh, but even when it comes to another person's repentance, we have to be careful that we are not idolizing even that and saying, I must have them repent. I must have them live a certain way. Um, no, ultimately we are responsible for our, ourselves. Yeah, Abilash. I mean, even repentance is the gift, right? And it's yeah. 
Yeah, and 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26 is, is beautiful in this regard. The root of the pastor's gentleness, and I think it's a passage that applies to everybody. The root of the pastor's gentleness and tenderness with everyone is the fact that he knows that God is the one who grants repentance. This is verse 25. And that that person is uh, uh, ensnared by Satan. So the real enemy is the sin and it's Satan. It's not even that person. And that's how you're able to be gentle and tender with people, even who who are uh, resistant to counsel and so on. Yeah, David. I, I know we're short on time, but um, can you talk a little bit about reconciliation? And, like, I've been in situations where someone has been angry at me, mm-hmm. um, but they wouldn't necessarily tell me what it is sure. or what they're angry about. And then in my mind, I know that there's tension, um, but then somehow over time, maybe they let go and there's peace, but for me, there's not any closure. Sure. Um, is there, does there always have to be, like, talk about the situation, or can it just be, okay, well, I guess you're not angry anymore? And I think there should be, yeah. I think I, I definitely think there should be, and I think Scripture is clear that if there's something against a brother, that we need to not even go to communion or worship until we've dealt with that issue. And so, kind of just letting things go, and I'm not angry anymore, you don't even know, really. Right. I mean, it could be smoldering. You guys know what a smoldering fire is. It looks like it's out, but then all of a sudden, boom, it explodes and kills people because there's something... Uh, underneath the surface. It's called smoldering, and that happens with people. They, they could claim that they got over it, but that's not how Scripture would have us deal with things. Um, but even then, um, we, uh, there are, there are, there's transactional forgiveness, and then there's heart forgiveness, and Pallison even talks about this. Jesus says, when you stand praying, forgive. So there's a sense in which you forgive the person even who hasn't had a transaction of forgiveness with you. There's still a heart of forgiveness towards them because you can't live with bitterness, and that would be wrong. Um, but we should be seeking true, genuine closure with people. While we are talking about the issue, confessing it, calling it what it is, repenting, reconciling, and going about our business. So it should be, but even your responsibility in that case is, is even though you desire it <clears throat> and you should pursue it and, and really press the person, even then you're forgiving and you can't ultimately force the person or idolize the, the whatever you view as reconciliation. Yeah, one more question, Crystal. With a C. With people with like relatively good temperament. Yeah. Like people, there's a prevalence of anger when people are just stretched, stressed, or just like at the brim of you know time or mm-hmm. things like that. And um, obviously the root cause is like maybe we're prioritizing the wrong thing. Right. We too much about our free time, about our work, right. our alone time. And right. Like in an example where you know, <coughs> someone, like whether it's your kids or wife or husband or your parents, like constant. If they're constantly kind of like, you know, maybe they're doing something to annoy you. They like mm-hmm. asking you for help or something. You're like, oh my gosh, I have so much this and that. It's out of a selfish um, love, right? And maybe on their end, there's things that they could like repent of or like be yeah. you. Yeah. But between like the option of changing your heart, which is obviously something that needs to happen, the other spectrum being like trying to change that person, trying to like make that person accommodate you to make you less mad, like, where are we supposed to range on that spectrum? Like, at what point do we have a right to talk to that person and be like, hey, something that you're doing is really annoying me, mm-hmm. versus, like, being like, okay, I, I'm getting mad now, but let me just, like, try to handle it. Yeah. Like, change my heart. How do we... Yeah, so this is, I think this does go back to, we have to learn how to channel anger in a productive way, because there are certainly times and places where you where chant where the anger is 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 a signal that there is something that that person is doing that 
perhaps is not right, right? Or you're in, you're in relationship in a way that's not healthy. And so you do need to, you're angry, but you now need to channel in that in talking to the person and um, saying, hey, uh, when you're doing these things, I, I don't appreciate it. And I'm not sure if you're aware of it, but it's actually in, impinging on, on my time and my ability to get things done. There are legitimate ways to talk about these things. When we're talking about um, my uh, will be done versus uh, his will be done, we're not talking about becoming a doormat for whatever other what other people want in our lives. That's not how we conduct ourselves as Christians. And so there are um, times and places where we certainly need to channel our anger to talk to the person to to uh, to deal with the problem so that we are in right relationship biblically. And you mentioned parents. Um, there is a way for parents to interact with adult children biblically, and that needs to be sought and pursued by both parties. If one party is unbelieving, then that thing make things, makes things more complex and during uh, you're engaging with them, you want to maintain a gentle demeanor and so on. But it doesn't mean that you must therefore acquiesce to unbelieving frameworks and assumptions about how people interact. So um, I probably say it's a, it's a case by case kind of thing, but when we're saying that we want a yielding and submissive spirit, tender and kind, we're not saying that now other people dictate our lives and our schedules. That's not what we're, we're saying. Um, that would be unwise too. There are, are biblical commandments that we have to obey as believers and there are right, good, and healthy biblical ways for us to interact with both believers and unbelievers. So I probably would say, Crystal, <clears throat> uh, with regard to the spectrum, it really depends. It's a case-by-case um, kind of thing where you do need to determine, is this something where... Um, it is good and right for me to say his will be done, be yielding and submissive, do what this person wants, or is this something where they're making unrealistic, ungodly demands on me and my time? And that's, we have to be able to say that too, and that's a possibility, right? So, all right, great questions. Uh, we'll take two weeks off, no YoPro for the next two weeks, no uh, Yam for the next two weeks. We'll be back here, I'll send out email reminders, and we'll be back here on the 8th, and Keep on asking the great questions, you guys. Have a great rest of your Sunday.